Steve said we've been working through the Apostles' Creed, and because it was my first talk, they said, well, you take the forgiveness of sins because that's a nice, easy one. So I thought, I was grateful for that because there is a lot of stuff that you can draw from from this. But what I found, um, the drawback of that is that there is an awful lot of stuff you could draw from. So when I gathered together everything I really wanted to say about it, there was way too much stuff. Um, And we do need to get to the farm because there are baptisms happening. So what I've had to do is just take everything I had and try and pick one pathway through it. And it could have been any pathway, but I've just had to pick one pathway through it. And I decided to go with um, the the story of the prodigal, which Emily and the children read to us. Um, The story of these two brothers, these two brothers with these very different ways of being in the world. And as I thought about the differences between this older and the younger brother, it reminded me of this image Now, I know you can't see it very clearly, but I'll explain it. So what you've got is this river running down the middle of the picture and the boat. And then you've got two riverbanks on either side. And if you can make out the top where all the wriggly lines are, this is named as the riverbank of chaos. So on one side of the bank, you've got this bank of chaos. And the other side of the bank, this has the word rigidity, this riverbank of rigidity or control. And this one at the bottom, this is where I imagine that older brother has built his house very carefully. It's not a bad place to be. This is, he's not all bad. He's often portrayed as the villain in the story, but he is the brother that has stayed on the farm. He's done the work. He's diligently helped his father for a long time. However, the cracks in this way of his being start to happen later on when that younger brother comes back. When this younger brother that's been doing his own thing comes back and this older brother on his bank of rigidity there starts getting irritated and annoyed with him. And it starts to, it starts to look very much like he's done all these great things and these helpful things with kind of a philosophy of, well, if I do all these right things here and then everyone will owe me good things back like a really subtle way of trying to control the environment around him. Whereas his brother has been right up there on the other bank of chaos, doing his thing, living his life, until he realized he couldn't carry on anymore. Now, this story is written, obviously, as a parable. So in a parable, you're never going to get these rich three-dimensional characters. It's written to make a point. It's written to illustrate something. And we all know that the younger brother's not all bad. We know the older brother's not all bad. And we know, if we're honest, that all of us have got little bits of older brother in us, and we've all got little bits of younger brother in us. We've all got parts of our lives where we try and keep under control, and we get irritated when other people come in with their own different ways of doing things and messing it up. And we've all got bits of our lives that are a bit chaotic. I know, for me, I work as a teacher, and I tend to find that either my classroom is neat and tidy and ordered, or my home is. They don't seem to be both at the same time. This week, for example, it was the turn of my home to be in chaos, and my son, Jem, had his football cards out, and I said to him, Jem, can you put your football cards away? And his response was, why, have we got people coming over? Because he knows that's how to get chaos into order, is to have someone come and visit, because that's when I start to switch everything around, and I tidy everything up. Um, equally, like, so we all spend our time bumping. We're not, no, we're not one or the other. We all spend our time veering 
in these two banks. I spoke to somebody else this week who has a very important job, um, works in a big organisation, manages lots and lots of people, does it very, very well, and then has to come home and try and make dinner out of one beetroot, a vanilla yogurt, and half a lemon that she had left in the fridge, which may or may not be usable because it may have dried out. This whole idea of I can be super controlled in this but actually, I haven't got time to fill my fridge and I can't organise this kind of stuff. And we all run between the two. This picture originally was in a book about emotional health. And the point that the artist was making was saying that the ideal place for us really is in the middle of that river. That yes, we'll veer from bank to bank, but where we're aiming for is to be in the middle. And if we start veering towards that chaotic side too much, then we need to try and paddle ourselves back towards the middle. And equally, if we start going the other way, we paddle ourselves back to the middle. So I started to think, well, can this image be used in terms of spiritual health? How would this translate to spiritual health? What would the middle of this river look like? Where are we aiming for? For that emotion, for that spiritual health. So while I was thinking about the story of the, the prodigal son, um, I came across this book here by Henri Nouwen. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son. I have to say, it didn't look that interesting on the cover, but I would recommend reading it. It is really good to read. And the other thing that comes about it is it comes with a postcard. So in the, store, in the book, Henri Nouwen basically has this obsession with this painting. Uh, this is by Rembrandt. This is a, a, the moment that that younger brother comes home and is greeted by his father. That moment that his father puts his hands on his shoulders and welcomes him back. And in this book, Henri Nouwen, just he gets obsessed with this painting for quite a number of years. And as I was reading through the book with this post on the other side that you can keep looking to, I did start to think maybe this moment right here Maybe that's what the middle of the river looks like. Maybe there's something about this moment that this is where we're heading to. Now, I then started looking up a bit more about this painting, and people who know a lot more about art than I do made comments um, in particular about the red cloak that the father's wearing. And this works well for me because my brain works a lot in pictures. I can work well with pictures. And there, there was lots about how the shape of the cloak... Um, arches over like a tent, like a, a doorway into a, a safe place, which reminded me of this verse in the Psalms where he is my refuge and my fortress in whom I trust. And the other thing that came out of... Uh... Sorry, sorry, sorry. The other thing that lots of people had written about, which I don't think I would have noticed if I didn't read about it, um, were the hands on the father. And if you can't make it out from there, it'd be worth having a, a look it up. Um, but if you look carefully, the hands of the father on the back of the son look like they're from two completely different people. You've got one hand that's much bigger and one hand that's much more slender. And there's lots of thoughts about, is this, is this just a reminder about within God, there being both manhood and womanhood. And a reminder that in this moment when the younger son comes home, this is him being welcomed by father and by mother.
So if we're imagining, as a parable would suggest, that the father in this, uh, the father in the parable and in this painting is representative of God, other than this idea about God being this place of refuge and this safe place in the middle of the river, and other than this idea about motherhood and fatherhood being in God, then what else can we pick out about this theme of forgiveness and God? So we're going to have a quick look here, first of all, at the younger brother. So the younger brother's been on his adventures, and he's coming back. And the father runs to his son. And then immediately, he's ordering people to get the celebrations going. So first and foremost is the idea of him running. Now, this father, as we know, had plenty of land. He was able to separate it out and give it to his sons. So we can tell from this that he's an important person in this village. He's got a bit of status. And back then, people just didn't run if you've got status. They just didn't hoik up their outfits and go trotting over the land for any reason at all. So why does he run? Well, first of all, we can assume because he was excited, because he was overwhelmed. He saw his son coming back, and he was excited to see him. But I've also read another possible reason by saying that because of the behavior of this younger son, because he had so publicly disrespected his father by asking for his share of the inheritance, that this was such a public form of disgrace that by rights, the other villagers, because this had brought shame on them as well, could by rights stone him to death. So one understanding could be that this father then runs across the land to get to his son to be with him so that if anyone starts throwing rocks at them, then they're going to have to hit him as well. So he runs to get his son, protects him, and then brings him back and brings him home safely. And then when he gets there, the son seems to have his pitch all sorted out. He knows he wants to be forgiven. He knows he wants to be brought back home, but he's not expecting to come back in that role of a son. And he's not even expecting to come back in the role of a servant who would live in the house. His pitch, his proposal was going to be that he would come back as a tradesperson who'd live in the village, not even in the house. He'd come live in the village and work his way back into the house. But the father's just not interested. He just says, no, we're ready to celebrate, get the stuff, and let's get started. So from this, we can see that our God, as we've said a lot this weekend, our God really does welcome everyone, with no exceptions. We say this a lot, but it is really, it's easy for us to start thinking that, or comparing ourselves to other people, to start feeling not good enough, to start seeing these chaotic bits of our lives and thinking, well, they do better at this, they do better at this. I know when things in my life get chaotic, I suddenly feel like not grown up enough, that other people seem to manage it. Why can't I get it sorted? But this isn't the way God loves. God's not comparing people. He's just saying, as you are, let me come and get you and let me take you back and I will look after you. And what about the older brother? Well, the older brother, as we said, got all irritated when the younger brother came back and everyone started celebrating. He doesn't even know that he needs to be forgiven. He doesn't even seem to think he's done anything wrong. But when he's at that party, at the celebration, he doesn't even stay in there. He's straight outside. But the father looks up and he notices he's not there. And again, he goes out to get him. And the love of the father is extravagant and it is generous to both sons. They'd both disrespected him in different ways. 
but it's extravagant and it's for both of them. And this lack of favoritism is quite hard to get our heads around. We're so used to being compared or having to compete for things or being ranked for things. But I think one thing about this parable is about how it's not, we're not compared. That's not how God loves. He looks at each of us individually and just says, as you are, come with me. In this book I was talking about, um, Henri Nguyen says this. He says, the parable of the prodigal son is a story that speaks about a love that existed before any rejection was possible and that will still be there after all rejections have taken place. It is the first and everlasting love of a God who is father as well as mother. In his painting of the father, Rembrandt offers a glimpse of that love. It is the love that always welcomes home and always wants to celebrate. And I love that summary, but I don't think that's the only important message from this parable. This acceptance and this love of God and this idea of God being this safe refuge in the middle of the river where we're aiming for. Because if you think about the father, nobody can be the adult if they haven't already been the child. And if we think about the way the father reacted, this without asking for conditions, without checking to see if the son had made improvements in his life before taking him back, if we look at the way the father reacts, then the next step has to be to look at that and say, well, how is this going to affect how I am with other people? And it's all very well for us to identify with the sons and say, well, I'm a bit like this, I'm a bit like this, and we always will be. But I think our aim in the long goal has to be, well, but how am I going to be more like the father? How am I going to care more like he did? So how do we do that? Well, I don't know, but I think it's going to be one of those things that we might have to work out for the rest of our lives. But I wonder if maybe a small part of becoming like the father, maybe part of it is being mindful of how we are when the people that we live with and work with and spend time with are bouncing from bank to bank of that river. How do we react when somebody's in a chaotic moment? How do we react when somebody's in this controlling phase? How do we do that? How can we sort of oil over the bumps and the frictions in that and keep relationships going? How can I be the neighbor we talked about yesterday? How can I still be the neighbor when I'm finding somebody really difficult to be around. How do I do that? And maybe, and this one comes with a bit of a caveat to it, but maybe when a relationship does have lots of these bumps and frictions, then is like being the father in the middle of the river, is that about not walking away from it and not giving up on it? And the caveat I was gonna say on this one is that sometimes we have to walk away. Sometimes we have to separate ourselves. Sometimes we have to find our forgiveness and our peace separately. But if there is a way, are there ways we can stay with these people? We can stay with somebody we find difficult and we can work it out. And maybe that's a small part of being like the father in the middle of this river and in that moment in the painting. And that's not easy because forgiveness is not emotion. It's not reliant on how we feel. It's about willingness. It's about intention. Sometimes it's perseverance and not giving up. 
but I think it's all part of becoming like the father in the painting. And if this is such a lot of effort, then why do we bother? Why would we bother doing all this? Well, I think we bother because this parable was told in response to a painting, um, sorry, in response to a question by the Pharisees, that the group of elder brothers at the time, who were irritated because Jesus kept spending time with sinners, as they said, and Jesus kept spending time and having dinner with all these people that the Pharisees themselves were keeping well away from. But Jesus was never about pushing people away. He was always about going to get people and bringing them in, finding people, bringing them in. So yes, we're all human and we are all going to carry on going from bank to bank, from chaos to control. We're always going to do that. But if our ultimate aim is to be more like the Father, and if we can figure out where that point is for us, where that middle of the river is, where's that point, where's that moment that we feel this connection to God, the way he's sitting there, and he's leaning in, and he's close enough to have that conversation. If we can find where that point is for us, then maybe we can start showing that to other people and showing them where this middle of the river point is. And maybe that middle of the river for other people is going to be a place where they can put their fears down, and they can start to realize that perhaps that our God is not the judgmental older brother type that they think he might be. But maybe they'll find that he's actually far more loving and far more compassionate and far more forgiving than they think he is. Thank you.